unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I see that we have a guest lined up for the YouTube videos. They already know because we've got a three-shot up, but for the listeners who are on pins and needles waiting to hear what this episode's about, I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to play a fly on the wall because I know I'm going to learn a lot in this week's episode. I would agree with you, and yes, we have a very special guest today, Kenneth Yu. Ken, I want to thank you for staying up very late to join us. As we're recording this, it's the middle of the night in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, where Ken is based. He's going to tell us about what he calls the most persuasive story structure on earth. And he has a point. He calls it the scalable parable. And this refers to the way religious stories are structured. Now, from a sales point of view, and this is why I say he has a point, the Holy Bible has sold five billion copies, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, and that was in 1995, more than any other book in the English language, and almost certainly more than any other book in the world. Scalable parables are great in religious texts, but what about in copy? We'll find out today. Ken is going to tell us how he used this religious story structure to get the number one BizOp ClickBank offer up last year. More importantly, he's going to tell you what you need to do to use this same structure in your own copy. Now, aside from this, or maybe because of this, Ken's got some amazing copywriting street cred. He's written for big online publishers, including Agora and Mind Valley. He's also worked in the big corporate advertising markets with the Ogilvy Agency, and he's picked up a handful of international awards for his work. I know you're anxious to hear what he has to say, just as anxious as I am to tell you copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Ken, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's really awesome to be here, and it's an honor because I studied some of your works back in the day, maybe 12, 13 years ago when I first started in copywriting, and it's just an honor to to talk to you now. Well, thank you, and and likewise. So let's get right down to it. We've got so much to cover. Could we start with what you did on ClickBank that worked so well for you? Yes. As David talked about the scalable parable, and it's a sales, it's a storytelling methodology that I use in both sales letters and in all other kinds of promotions as well. And what happened is the culmination, or really one of the milestones of the proof that this strategy works, was I got the number one ClickBank BizSop offer of 2020. And what you may not know, Dave, is that the year before, I used the same strategy. I got the top three offer in the spirituality market. 
in ClickBank. <laughs> so in a sense, it's proof that it works as a track record. And, and even now I'm using these strategies in all the different offers that I'm creating. Even my copywriting offer is, is now getting promoted by ClickBank because it's been getting killer results for my clients. And it's all because of the scalable parable. Okay. I'm very curious to know, how did you discover this holy grail formula, this scalable parable? So scalable parable is because I, I come from a slightly different background. And all my backgrounds included the need to study and internalize different stories. And so I was, I was a film student. So basically in, in college, I did my honors thesis on Ghost in the Shell. So I studied Japanese anime as my <laughs> degree. <laughs> wow, that must have been fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, well, it was fun. Like, it wasn't even unique. Like, yeah, it, was just, it was just fun. And then I, you know, I was in Ogilvy. As you mentioned, I was in Ogilvy. I won about 12 awards there. And all the awards were based on ideation and storytelling as well. And then after that, I went to Mind Valley, and you know it was a direct response, hardcore direct response sort of thing, which involves a lot of storytelling. But more so these days, I think when we first started about 13 years ago, storytelling wasn't actually as big in the direct response space because VSLs were not as big in the in the direct response space. But I think the I think the, the biggest influence is the fact that I was a pastor before. Oh, you were you were a pastor? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so I I was I studied theology. A bit. In fact, me and my wife are still heavily involved in 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 the Christian scene uh, around the world. And basically, just you know, and my my father studied theology as well, and I did his homework. That's that's how I, I actually got to know. So at fourteen, I was doing his master's homework and stuff. So that was my education. <laughs> and that's actually how you know, with all these different influences, the that struck me is religion is still in a sense, the number one brand in the world because it actually has an 87% penetration rate, right? Like uh, McDonald's and Apple and all those do not have that. And while you may be nominal, like you, you may not be uh, practicing, you know, either a Jew or a Christian or a Buddhist and everything, but you still identify somewhat. 87 people still identify with some kind of religion. And I was like, okay, there's something here. Why is religion so persuasive? And that's when I went into the storytelling techniques of the religious scriptures. That's, that's awesome. And great story and amazing story about your father. I, I'll be honest, <laughs> I wanted to do some of that for him, but he was a nuclear physicist. It was way beyond okay. my <laughs> mental capacity to help him at all. So let's talk about storytelling. You're making the case that storytelling is more important to a company's revenues than most people think. Could you explain what that means? It basically means, right, that we live in a world today where there has to be some sort of emotional resonance and such some sort of community building elements to succeed in this world. Mainly because I believe that we're all in a red ocean. I mean, business talks about blue ocean. I don't believe blue oceans last very long because of technology. And then, you know, you get red oceans. And when you're in a red... You want to describe the blue ocean, red ocean theory in a, in a second? Okay, sure, sure. So basically, uh, business, I think it was W. Kim something. I'm, I'm a business strategy geek as well. So I like Harvard Business Review and stuff. So the blue ocean is where there's no competitors and that you can shine. And the red ocean is a place where there are all the sharks. That's why they're eating one another and they're eating different prey. And then it's blood infested waters. And that's the competitive industries. And we live in a world where it's predominantly red ocean. There are very few blue oceans out there. 
So okay. there may be blue oceans for a very short period of time, but generally in all the industries we play, me, you, your listeners, it's probably going to be a red ocean. Okay, thank you. So you were saying that because we're in a red ocean, I just wanted to define that for people who didn't know that. And thank you for yeah. doing that. We need to create community. And then I guess where you're going is storytelling creates community like nothing else. Is that where you're going or? That's where I'm going. So I think one of the, the pointers we're going to discuss next is nature of house of vacuum. And I'm going to talk yeah. a little bit more about that. But in terms of the storytelling side, it's like the brand is dead. And I think it was Dan Kennedy who said there's no such thing as branding these days. It's right time, right place. The timing of the, of the need coincides with right, right time, right place. Okay. And the only way that you as a business can stand out without being obnoxious and without being wearing out your welcome is by telling good stories so that people are entertained and that you develop that emotional bond with your audience. So that no matter what happens, be it in the red ocean, everything, you don't compete on price, you compete on relationships. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's such a key point. I, I want to repeat it just so people can hear that. You don't compete on price, you compete on relationships. And is this where storytelling comes in? Yes, that's where storytelling comes in. Because how you tell a story, so, I mean, stories are about emotional stirring, emotional transformation, emotional attraction. and when you. In a sense, when, when people align with you emotionally, it creates a bond. And on another level, I think one of the Harvard scientists have said that when you tell a story, your, your brain waves actually match with your audience. That means you're almost like Professor X from X-Men and <laughs> your audience basically gets psychically manipulated by you. And yeah, that's actually the power of story. And that creates a relationship. And it makes sales so much easier because you're nearer the finish line. Okay. So you don't have to work so hard. That's, that's awesome. That, that should make everybody want to get better at stories right there. Now, you say nature abhors a vacuum. We've all heard that before, but I think you have a special meaning for that phrase. Am I right? Yes. And this is a slightly meta uh, level sort of thing. But uh, I believe people go through what I call salvation syndrome. And salvation syndrome basically means that people don't take responsibility. I mean, 97% of people don't take responsibility for themselves. Only 3% of people do. And the 97% of people who don't take responsibility, one, find someone else to blame, but also find someone else who becomes a messiah or a savior to them. It's not, it may not be a someone, it may be a something, it may be a pill, it may be a product, it may be a service, but in a sense, because, because the thing is, responsibility is messy and complex. So it is, right? Like, you know, you want to, to lose weight. That's like a hundred different regimens you need to do. You need to, you know, if I don't take sugar, I, today I didn't take sugar and then I, I felt sick, I think. <laughs> because I, I, I'm going on a sugar fast and it's like, it's terrible, right? But if I could take a pill that could remove sugar addiction, I could remove my struggles with food and everything, I will take it. And so the thing is, humanity swings on a pendulum, right? So basically, if they reject something, they sometimes don't fill up with, with, with something else. Yes. So for instance, we live in a lonely generation. So a lot of organized religion in the US has been reduced. Like Christianity is actually reducing in the US. At least evangelical Christianity is actually reducing. 
Mm-hmm. But what fills the gap? Because evangel- evangelical Christianity, whether you like it or not, felt it filled a gap. It filled a gap, which is like the community or the sense of purpose and all those things. But then the problem is when you reject something, there's something else that needs to fill that gap. And now, you know, it's the crypto community and everything where, where you know, it's community driven. All kinds of assets are actually community driven in terms of the pricing and everything. So crypto has become a new religion for those who has rejected organized religion because there's still a gap. The gap didn't close. The gap is still there. And for me, why I talked about the vacuum is because storytelling fills that vacuum. It isolates and it fills that vacuum. So let's see. I think it was Joseph Campbell said that there's a hunger for story. And um, you're saying it's more than a hunger for story. It's a hunger for something, for that 97%, for something to follow, something to join, right? Hmm. And something to save them out of their predicament. Okay, so that I think that gets right to the next question, which is what's different and more power. And I think you almost just answered it, but <laughs> what's different and more powerful about religion-based storytelling? So the average storytelling structure. So with scalable parable, I will go into what the eight steps are next. But most storytelling will only stop at the the fifth step of the the scalable parable process. And then there's three more that makes it unique towards religion. So the first five is almost like storytelling 101 or the kind of storytelling structure that most people have. And then there's three more. And to just elaborate on that, what happens is most storytelling focuses on emotional manipulation. Religious storytelling focuses on emotional monetization. Hmm. So because a story by itself is will stir you. Like, you know, you, you have a good time, you go watch, you know, the latest MCU movie, thank God they're back. It's been a year since the last movie. <laughs> and, right. you know, got to watch Shang-Chi, got to watch Eternals, it's coming next, next week, but I'm excited for that. So those are great. So those are stories, great. You go back, but there's no, beyond the entertainment value, nothing else changes. So the story just, it's just by itself, it's an entertaining story. A religious story adds three more steps which is a call to action, essentially. It's basically saying, hi, do you want to, after hearing this story and being emotionally stirred, do you want to join this community? Do you want to join the cause? And do you want to avoid the consequences if you don't join the cause? And you can see that that's actually a, a good segue. First, there's an emotional stirring, and then there's an invitation. There's a bigger community because, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. The gap of community, the gap of loneliness is filled. And then come join my program, join my course and everything. Your, the gap for salvation or that outside answer to your problems is also filled. Wow, this is mind-blowing stuff. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, what are the steps to creating one of these scalable parable stories? Okay, so the, the story that I use for, for scalable parable is actually the gospel story. So that's the, the Christian, the good news, uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm going to first tell you the story in Cliff Notes, and now I'm going to just go into each of the steps after that. So the gospel story goes like this. The Israelites were living under Roman rule. They were oppressed by the Romans, and they were looking for a Messiah. Then the Virgin Mary and Joseph, basically the Virgin end up impregnated by the Holy Spirit, went into a manger and gave birth to Jesus when Herod and the rest uh, wanted to go after him and killed him because he was supposed to be the next king of kings. But Jesus avoided death, ended up 
a miracle working worker. Basically, everybody who came to him, the blind could see, the, the deaf could hear, even the, the dead could rise, etc., etc. But then the religious leaders were, of that day were jealous of him and basically crucified him. And he crucified. Three days later, he rose up again from the cross. And he basically was resurrected from the dead. And then he gathered all his disciples who were dispersed by that and sent them out into the world saying, please make disciples of all nations. And then the, the last two is basically, do you want to be part of this movement? Do you want to be part of this cause? And if not, you go to hell. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's okay. <laughs> that's a pretty good crossroads close, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good crossroads close. <laughs> now, now let me uh, break it down. Okay. So there's eight components to the, to the scalable parable. So the first one is what I call the Romans. And basically, what is the scapegoat, the problem, the issue your customer is dealing with? Just as the Israelites were struggling with the Romans, who were terrible, they brought the aqueduct, they brought, you know, agriculture and everything, but they were just terrible in everything else. Like, you know, you go to the Colosseum and the Netflix of the day was going to the Colosseum and seeing two people beat, the, beat each other to death. And that's where, where no, that was the kids. That was Sesame Street back in the day. So <laughs> that was the Romans. So they were quite terrible. And the second is what I call the Virgin. And that is the Virgin. I, there's another term I use for the Virgin. It's called the Blessed Stumbling Block. And that is the catalyst to do something better for yourself. So the first is your oppress. And the second is, okay, I need to do something about it. So, you know, Mary gave birth to the son of God, but it was a very inconvenient birth. Like you don't have virgin births, right? Like, <laughs> and, and single parents are looked down on at that day. So there was a lot of oppression in even doing that. But the catalyst of that was, I want to do something about it. So you see the same sort of patterns in the superhero origin stories. You know, like Bruce Wayne, that, the blessed stumbling block was he, he ended up in the gamma minefield and then he became, you know, the Hulk. Uh, Batman, his parents were killed. Spider-Man got bitten by a spider and his Uncle Ben was killed. So I call this a blessed stumbling block because it was a stumbling block. It's an obstacle, but it actually pushes them forward. And then you go into, so after that determination, like, hey, I need to do something for myself because of this random issues, I go to the miracles. So, you know, Jesus did miracles. What are miracles? I define them in the scalable parable as giving people what they want in a way they don't expect. So giving people what they want in a way they don't expect. So what do people want? People want healing, prosperity, like money, finances, wealth, romance. Uh, the human operating system didn't have a reboot in the last 2000 years. Like it's still the same. The human OS is still the same. No blue screen. It's still the same. So hasn't really been upgraded. So, yeah. so basically, but human beings like novelty, right? So, you know, we all need to be cloth. But we prefer to be clothing the latest Gucci than, you know, caveman than fur from, you know, you slay a bear and wear fur or something or camel fur or something, right? Like, uh, same thing in terms of the food culture that is very modern, right? Like, you know, you have all this really weird, weird ass stuff and everything. But, you know, just a standard steak with, without the frills, meat and potatoes is good enough. But why do people want to, you know, go to the next level and do all those things? It's because people, they want what they want, but in a way they don't expect. And in a sense, the miracles is that is what people want in a way they don't expect. So people want healing, but Jesus brought divine healing. So it's something they don't expect. And in your story, in the sales letter, 
that's where you introduce what people want, the, the item, but in a way that they don't expect, uh, be it in terms of its historical context, be it, uh, it's a different ingredient or maybe it's a different scientific breakthrough. It's in a way that people don't expect. So you play out the novelty, which is essential if you want to do good promotions these days, the novelty factor. Because yes. we live in a Netflix generation and what Netflix has conditioned us to, to do, which I think actually is a good thing because I'm a film student and I, I study the weird films, right? the weird French films and everything, is bringing the weird mainstream. Like, you know, Squid Game, right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if you watch Squid Game, but, you know, it's this random Korean show. Yeah, and everyone's just, just getting killed, like getting machine gun to death, playing kids' games. And it's like the, the most <laughs> watched show of all time on Netflix, which, yeah. which means, right, that people's taste in, in shows, like Squid Game, which is a Korean show, it's not even in English, is now getting mainstream. And people are hungry for something more and more different, which means that in your sales letters, in your promotions, you need to actually have that novelty factor. So that's, that's point number three. That's, that's the third step. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Can I finish the, yeah. the last five steps? <laughs> yeah, 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 please. This is, this is great. I'm just soaking it in and wow. Yeah. So it, then the fourth step is the crucifixion. And that is uh, when something goes well, something that there's adversity that comes in and, and basically it, it suppresses that project or suppresses that cause or suppresses something like that. I mean, Jesus was crucified, so that's a big, uh, you know, that's a big deterrent in the movement. Your, yeah. your leader gets crucified. So that's a point of adversity. And I think the, the key insight that I will leave here is people pay a price to those who pay a price. So it means that if it actually costs you something to create this movement, this cause, this product, this service, they respect you a lot more for it. That's a great point. People pay a price to people who pay a price. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's true. Yeah. And then after that, the crucifixion, the fifth one is the resurrection. And that is the triumph over tragedy and Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so the thing is, people live vicariously through other people's victories. So when you have a victory, the thing is, if you look at sports, you look at the LeBron James of the world. I mean, he's not doing so well right now. The NBA is doing so well. Lakers are doing quite badly right now. But, you know, like the champions, like, you know, Yanis Atatokounmpo, uh, from the Bucks, you respect him because he overcome adversity. Yes. And even the last playoffs, you know, he, he nearly broke his leg or something. Like, it was just a terrible injury and it was a miracle. And he won. And in a sense, that's a, the point where you say, okay, that's a point of victory that, ki- that came at a cost. And now there's this. And the other key thing is basically, now whatever you're doing is better than it was before. Mm, so okay. before the adversity, it was doing well. Adversity hits, smash everything. You rebuild it and now it's better than you ever had was before and then after that it's the commission so after the resurrection is the commission that is when jesus gathered all the disciples this is when you you actually say to the world i have this victory that came at great cost but it shouldn't just apply to me and me alone i want to spread it to the world so i want to to spread it to the nations uh, this cannot just be in my little hometown it must be outside let's spread it to the world and then once we do that comes the next part which is the invitation. And the invitation is basically, you make the offer. This is, what, this is me giving you what you want in a way you don't expect. These are the deliverables. And do you want in, do you want out? Which leads me to the last point, which is the ultimatum. 
<laughs> Either buy my offer or go to hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the invitation is come to heaven or go to hell, right? So, <laughs> okay. So go, yeah. and go to hell is just, scarcity, is just scarcity, right? So, you know, you're 10 times more motivated by loss than, than the promise of gain. I think that we, we all know that. And We know that, yeah. Yeah, and then it's just to, to just stack on the scarcity, just say you're not going to be part of the movement. That means you're deprived of the community. You're not going to have this thing that will change your life because you know you're, you didn't accept whatever I offer and therefore you will suffer a lot more. <laughs> you, you suffer a lot longer than if you would have taken my offer and, and just do the standard countdown timers and, and all those things, but just paint the ultimatum as highly undesirable. I love this. I've never heard it explained this way before, possibly because you're the one who decoded it. So how could I have? And this works over and over in religious markets, secular markets, spiritual markets, business markets, consumer markets. Yeah. Yeah. It may be that this is wired into our DNA more than the hero's journey. Would you say that's a possibility? It is. I think we're all conditioned. And this may sound controversial, and don't. <laughs> so, We're open to that. We like that. I think all human beings are conditioned to worship a higher entity. It's just what that entity looks like. And it was, it's quite interesting that I, and this was in an investment show, it wasn't even in a religious show, where, where someone actually said that the reason why, let's say, the states have, have a problem with a lot of the mental health drugs and a lot of these like opioids and everything is because. America traded the altar of religion for the altar of psychiatry. So it's still an altar. Mm-hmm. It's still a functional savior, as it were. So we all have that gap that is filled. I mean, even if you're agnostic and you're atheistic or something, it's, you're still worshipping something. It could be money. It could be self-actualization. It could be your spouse. Like, whatever it is. I think you're right. And I even, I was thinking about this right at the beginning, and it's, I know some atheists who yeah. worship atheism. That's their religion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> atheism has saved me. Okay. Uh, not me, but okay. Um, all right. So a lot of wisdom here and a lot of very pragmatic money-making marketing wisdom. So there's this thing you call a tribe of customers, right? Yeah. So please tell us how all everything you've told us about fits into creating a tribe of customers. So with the scalable parable, and also because, you know, I, I used to run religious institutions, so I know the organizational structures and, and all those things. So what has happened to me is, you know, I, I created a movement and a tribe called WYODC. That stands for uh, Write Your Own Damn Check. <laughs> and it's insane. The, the tribe is crazy. Like my, my copywriting stuff gets crowdsourced. There's a peer group that's just so active. They're meeting one another. It's like an ecosystem, a business ecosystem that's just growing. And the reason for that is because religious storytelling inherently wants you to belong to something, wants you to belong to a cause. And most people are causeless. Most people don't really have a purpose beyond the next two, three years. So when you give them that higher ideal, then there's this uh, call to arms that you know, some people would not resonate with, but a lot of them do. And once they do, they end up feeling part of the tribe and they become good customers. I mean, my average order, my customer lifetime value is, in, is at least a thousand or something. It's just uh, pretty massive. And you know, I have a growing list of customers 
and and not just customers, they're friends. I mean, today actually I was supposed to do a workshop with some of the guys from WYODC, but I had to cancel because I I had a headache for some reason. I had a headache. I'm okay now because I slept the whole day, right? So, yeah. but it's like every Thursday I have this random flu. Every Thursday without fail, I have this. I just feel I have this strange flu, and by Friday I'm good. And Wednesday I'm good. Thursday I just this been happening the last four. Yeah. Maybe it's Thursday COVID. I don't, know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't even joke. You don't have COVID. I hope. Please not. No. <laughs> no only only manifest once a week, right? Then. Yeah. So I, I basically just say, okay, I need to postpone this because I'm not feeling that well. And, you know, I receive like a dozen or more messages that say get well soon. Just people emailing back and, and all those things. So, so it's quite good. So that's yeah. what I mean by trying. I understand it. It's, it's kind of like a family, but it's more than that. It's like a movement in a way, huh? Yeah, and movements shape reality, changes worlds, impact lives. So Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm sure you've got at least one or two listeners or maybe dozens, hundreds of listeners wanting to know how they can find out more about the scalable parable. So how do they? In your show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we put we put a special link down there for friends of David yeah. Oh, you said friends of David Garfinkel on your uh well I see yeah, your yeah. cre you're creating a tribe, friends of David Garfinkel. Very clever. Um, yeah, I thanks. like that. Uh, I like yeah. friends. Yeah. So scalableparable.com forward slash Garfinkel, right? All yeah. lowercase. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's correct. Yeah. This was a fantastic episode. As a lifelong comic book fan and anime fan, I really enjoyed all of the connections that you drew between that. And some some people have kind of painted the analogy that comic books have replaced religion that comic book heroes are the new gods of the modern era so there's a little bit of that in there as well but just overall chock full of good information and a bunch of little one-liners that i think will help a lot of the people listening and sparked some ideas in me so i just wanted to say thank you for coming on it was a very enjoyable conversation to sit in on this was good. You can find out more about Scalable Parable at scalableparable.com forward slash Garfinkel. And well, you can find that on copywriterspodcast.com where you can also subscribe. And then I guess you should like us and leave favorable comments and all those things. Is that right, Nathan? You, you're better at that than I am. <laughs> yeah, copywriterspodcast.com. Subscribe, rate, and review. And until next time, we will catch you later. Yes, and thanks again, Ken. All right. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.